Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and uh, we'll read verse 11, and then skip down and read verses 19 and 20. Revelation, chapter 1. Revelation, chapter 1, verse 11. And then verses 19 and 20. Revelation 1, 11, Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Then skipping down to verses 19 and 20, the Lord continues this discourse with John, and he says, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels, that's the messengers, the pastors of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. Amen. So tonight we are going to again be looking at lessons from the seven churches, and uh, we're going to discuss the church of Pergamos tonight. Amen. A lot, there's a lot of ground to cover in all of this, so stay with me tonight, amen. Let's put our Bibles down, lift our hands, lift our voices, and let's ask the Lord to help us tonight, to speak to us tonight. I believe he wants to. Let's talk to him together. Jesus name in Jesus name let's praise him I feel his presence here let's praise him together hallelujah hallelujah I love you Jesus I love you Jesus praise God praise God amen God bless you you may be seated again rather than go into a review uh, of these churches I'm going to just start tonight directly with the letter to the church of Pergamos, actually to the pastor of the church at Pergamos, and, and um, that's the way the Lord did it, and that's the way he still does it today. He's got a message for the church, 
He sends the message to the messenger. Amen. Praise God. And uh, I would tell you this, that uh, even though we're not going to review, it's, it's interesting to me that uh, much of what God said, and remember that he was having John write to the pastor of the church, much of what he said to Smyrna uh, applied evidently directly to the pastor himself and not just to the church there. But uh, uh, Polycarp was going to experience much of what the Lord was talking about. And I think that, again, as we look at Pergamos, we're going to see some of that going on, uh, if not uh, to the current pastor, which I do believe he does address some things here uh, to the current pastor. But he also makes mention, according to some historians, uh, to a previous pastor of this assembly. So let's, let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. And it would just be good as we go through these studies if you just leave your Bible open to the letter that we're dealing with because we are looking at this letter verse by verse. And uh, it would be good for you to have it right there in front of you. Revelation chapter 2, let's read the entire letter as we've been doing verses 12 through 17. Read for me, Brother Goff, if you would. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges, I know thy works, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, hast not denied my faith, even in the days wherein Antipas was a faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelled. But I have a few things against thee, because thou, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, that taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. All right. Now, uh, we, we have pointed out to you that in each of these letters, the Lord seems to make some kind of a, uh, I don't want to say play, it's, it's not um, a play on words, I guess, but in a way it is, where he takes the name of that city. And he makes some reference in the letter to what's going on in that church. And uh, <clears throat> here he's writing or he's giving instruction to the church in Pergamos. Now, what, um, as I looked at this, I found that the commentators were uh, divided about the meaning of Pergamos, which I thought was interesting. Uh, some look at the whole word Pergamus for what it is and taken as an entire word it means one thing others would take it as a compound Greek word per and gamas and uh, when you do it that way then it gives you a different meaning altogether and so I don't know I'm just being honest with you I don't know which of these applies but I will tell you that both of them actually uh, can apply to the things the Lord says in the letter. And that's why I, I can't really just come down on one side or the other because 
You can see both of these things being addressed in this letter to the church at Pergamos. Uh, it, if taken as an entire word, it means a high citadel. It's a place of power uh, that uh, is taken by a, uh, a strong ruler. Um, and you can see the, the things that the Lord says in this letter that, that could definitely make application uh, according to that, uh, that definition. The other, if you break it into per gamas, gamas is marriage. And when you put it with the prefix per, uh, then it comes out something to the effect of abundant or multiple marriages. Now, first time I ever taught on these churches, uh, we had several young single girls in the church. Um, and I still remember when I said that this means abundant marriages, they looked at each other and smiled and, you know, like, we'd like to go to that church. Uh, but you got to understand before you get too excited, they're not talking about a lot of people are getting married. They're talking about, in this case, Pergamos would mean that uh, somebody is getting married more than once. It's polygamy. It's uh, uh, what we as Christians would refer to as adultery. Well, hallelujah. So don't, don't, Jump too quickly to move to Pergamos, all right? Uh, it is It is still a city, by the way. They've changed the name just slightly. It's in the country of Turkey. Uh, but I don't think you want to go there anyhow. But um, there are, as I said, you can see both of these things implied in the letter to the church at Pergamos. Now, the city of Pergamos was the capital city of the Roman province in which it was located. So it was a very large city. It was a very wealthy city, and it was a very highly educated city. What I found out about Pergamos is uh, one of the things that it was known for, it was known to have one of the greatest libraries in the world. Second only to Alexandria, that's not Louisiana, that's, that's in Egypt. <laughs> and their... Uh, uh, their library, history says, had close to 2,000 works in it. I'm, I'm sorry, 200,000 works in it. Close to 200,000 works in it uh, in this library. And uh, it was well educated. It was a society that, uh, that was not only well educated, uh, they had many famous doctors there. In fact, I was reading today about a particular doctor by the name of Galen, and he became really one of the forefathers of, of much uh, of the medical theory that persists even today. And uh, many of the various uh, branches of medicine uh, came through his studies and his philosophy. He was not only a doctor, he was a philosopher, and he was from Pergamus. Uh, now, medicine played a large role here. And uh, before I get into that, let me say one more thing about Pergamos. The very name Pergamos here, uh, when you look at it, you may not realize this, but, but our word parchment actually comes from uh, the, the word Pergamos. 
uh, or as it is more commonly called in the Greek, Pergamum. Pergamum uh, is the word from which we get our word parchment. Uh, Alexandria, as I said, had the largest, world's largest library. Uh, and they had most of the papyrus. They made the papyrus upon which people wrote. And so Pergamus became famous for taking skins and, and learning to make these skins into a form of writing paper, if you would. And goat skins, calf skins. And, and those skins are what we come, came to call parchment. And it was, it was from Pergamus. That all of that started. Now, as I was saying, they, they were very uh, well educated, a number of universities there, and many of them dedicated to medicine. Uh, in fact, medicine was at the forefront of all that took place there uh, to the point that they erected a temple uh, to Asclepius or something, whatever, I don't know what his name is, but whatever it is, it's, it's, uh, it's Greek to me, praise God. And um, so he, this man, uh, th not man, this was a false god, and he was, he was supposedly the god of healing. Now, here's the interesting part of all this. Um, uh, Escalapius, that's Escalapius. So Escalapius uh, was a, a supposed god of healing. And they erected a temple to worship him. And the idol they made to represent this God was a serpent. Now, um, uh, our, now this, this temple, this temple uh, was filled with snakes. And I read, historians say that people would come from all over to come there to this temple and that what they would do if they were sick they would go into this temple and, and they'd turn the lights out and they'd have the people sleep there on the, on the floor of that temple and it was filled with snakes and they believed that when a snake touched them that this was the God of healing touching them and that they would be healed by this. Archaeologists have actually found coins uh, from ancient Pergamus. And it's interesting the images that were embossed on these coins. Uh, some of the coins had a picture of the Roman emperor uh, Caracalla. Caracalla was standing in front of a tree where a snake was coiled around the tree. Kind of sounds familiar. Um, they, that's, that was one of their coins. Another of their coins was simply of this God of healing. And, and hang on now. You see the symbol on those coins even today in many places. Because the symbol that was put on those coins was a rod where a snake was wrapped around the rod. It's a symbol that's used today by the American Medical Association. What you didn't realize was they are using the symbol of the ancient Greek god of healing. 
Interesting. I'm not preaching against doctors. But that does kind of make you not want to go quite as often. <laughs> At least me. I, um, but, but I want you to think about this. Now, this was on their coins. And this was one of their large temples. And, and this, was, this was a part of, of, and they had temples to several gods. Unlike most ancient cities where there would be one main god or goddess of that city, uh, this city, Pergamos, had temples to all kinds of gods. Greek gods, Roman gods. Uh, I mean, they had, they had temples to all kinds of gods. And, uh, and, and I want you to realize that the Christians who lived in Pergamos could not go anywhere without being confronted by an image of a serpent. In fact, they couldn't even get their checks cashed. They couldn't do business without being handed a coin that had a symbol of a serpent. Now that's, that's what's going on in Pergamos. In the city there. You know the serpent of course. In the scripture. And, and I, I think this is interesting. This, this dawned on me today. Is that when you think about the serpent. You think about the devil. You know that in the first book of the Bible. The serpent is associated with the devil. And in the last book of the Bible. The serpent is associated with the devil. Let me show you Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now we know. We know who's talking here. We know who's providing the voice to this snake. And so the very opening of the Bible, we read of a serpent. And that serpent we understand was Satan himself. And then we get to the last book of the Bible. And Revelation 20 verse 2 says this. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil. That old serpent, which is the devil. And Satan. And Satan. And bound him a thousand Bound years. him a thousand. Now I guess this is the devil's trinity. The devil, Satan. Let's see. We got the devil, Satan. Uh... I guess that's a quadrinity, isn't it? We got a dragon, a serpent, a devil, and Satan. Amen. That's kind of the way they use other verses, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, there must be three. So I guess there's four devils. Well, we're not going to get into that tonight. But, but here's what I want you to understand, that here was a city that was dedicated to the worship of the serpent. It was on their coins. It was in their church. It was everywhere they went. And Christians trying to live for God are confronted. Can you imagine if we woke up tomorrow and the government announced we're putting Lucifer's picture on all of our coins? How would you feel about that? Oh, you're not going to throw it away? Right? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to deal with it? You got to have groceries. You got to pay your bills. 
What are you going to do? That's what these Christians in Pergamos were confronted with every day. Every day. Everywhere they went. Now one historian said this. Uh, He said, the city has been described as a sort of a union of pagan cathedral city, university town, and royal residence. A union. A marriage of politics, education, and religion. And it was a high citadel. It was a place where they had a temple to one of the Roman uh, emperors there. In fact, we talked last uh, time about Smyrna being... Uh, chosen to build a temple to uh, a, a Roman uh, uh, governor there. And, uh, but long before Smyrna ever built their temple, hundreds of years in fact, Pergamos had been honored as a place to build a temple to the emperor himself. And so all of this is going on in this city of Pergamos. It was a, can we use this term, pluralistic society. A society that was known for its diversity. Everybody can believe what they want to believe. And we all just need to coexist. They probably, Brother Hilton, had bumper stickers on their chariots with the word coexist in different shapes and symbols. I, I, I don't know. But, but that's, that's what Pergamos was. That's what it was. This is the kind of city that this church was in. Amen. What a position to be in. Now we gripe and complain about everything our country's doing today, but we haven't gone quite that far. We're headed that way, but we're not there yet. Well... So let's, let's look at the letter. Knowing that little bit of background, let's look at the letter itself. Uh, let's start with the introduction, which is found in verse 12. Read that for me, Brother Goff. And to the angel of the church. To the angel, or the messenger, or the pastor of the church. In Pergamos, in Pergamos right. right. These things saith he which hath the sharp, sharp sword with two edges. Now, this is an interesting way. For the Lord to identify himself to the church at Pergamos. I mean, when you think about what he's saying here. He introduced, you know, just like Paul, when he would write his letters, he would say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ. Paul, a prisoner of Christ. And the way that Paul opened the letter would kind of set the tone For what was going to be done. The way that Paul identified himself. Not just as Paul. But Paul a servant. Or an apostle. Or a prisoner. And so Jesus is opening this letter. With a particular kind of identification. And he said. I am the one who has the sharp sword. With two edges. Now we understand what that sharp sword with two edges is. If you, if you don't, you had not been listening. 
Amen. We ought to know what that sharp sword with two edges. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation uh-huh. and the sword of the and Spirit. the sword of the Spirit. Which is which the Word is of God. the Word of God. That's the sword of the Spirit. And Jesus said, I want you to write to Pergamos and tell him I'm the one who holds this sword. Now, Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the Word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. And here we see the two-edged sword. The Word of God. A two-edged sword. This is not the only place that this phrase is used. Amen. Revelation 1.16, before he ever got to the letters themselves, Jesus is saying this to John. Or or the Bible is describing, John's describing what he sees of Jesus, rather. Revelation 1 and 16. And he had in his right hand. He had in his right hand seven stars. Seven stars. And out of his mouth. And out of his mouth went a two-edged went sword. A two-edged sword. So we're talking about the word of God. Now, what is all this, Brother Goff, with the two-edged? Why, why is it being identified as having two edges? What's the purpose in us knowing that it, there are two edges to this sword? Well, I, I want to tell you, this is my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. But I believe that the two edges uh, signify the fact that the, the Word of God can be a defense, but it can also go on the offense. The Word of God can bring us blessing if we keep it, but it brings curses if we violate it. There's two sides to this sword. There's two edges to this sword. Amen. And we're going to be judged by this sword. This is the sword of judgment. Revelation 20 verse 12. And I saw the dead. I saw the dead. Small and great. and great. Stand before God. Stand before God. The books were open. And the what? Books were open. And the what? Books. This is plural. This is not the book of life. These are the 66 books we call the Bible. And the books were open. And another book was and opened. another book was opened, which is, the, which book is the book of life. People say, "Oh, just so my name's in the Lamb's book of life." Well, let's, let me tell you something, my friend. Your name has to be in the Lamb's book of life. But whether it's there or not, we're going to be judged, uh, Amen, by something else. We're going to be judged. Keep reading. And the dead, and the dead were judged, were judged out, of those, out of those things which were written, which were written not in the book of life. But in the books, according to their works, according to their works, here's what the Bible says. God's going to compare the way we live, the things we say, the places we go, what we listen to, what we look at. God is going to judge the things we think about and he's going to line it all up with what's written in the word of God. And we're going to be judged, amen, by this sword. Now this sword is either going to come down as a blessing because we've kept his word or it's going to come as a curse because we have failed to keep his word. Hallelujah. Amen. Two edges to this sword. Amen. Here's one edge. Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful You've over been a few things. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler I'm over many things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter thou, into, Enter the thou the into the joy of thy Lord. That's what I want to hear. 
That's the side of the sword I want to come down on. Well, is anybody going to help me tonight? That's the side of the sword I want to come down. That's, that's the way I want it to be when I stand before God. I want it to be the positive side. I want him to say, well done. But listen to me. It is impossible for God to lie. And he's not going to say, well done, if you have not done well. He's not going to call you good and faithful if you haven't been good and you haven't been faithful. There's another side to this sword. Amen. This is one side, but there's another side. Amen. Read for me. It again in the book of Matthew. Matthew 7, verse 23. And then I will profess unto them. I'm going to profess to them. I never knew I you. I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. Ye that work ye iniquity. that work iniquity. And the word iniquity is, is lawlessness. He's talking about those that will not obey the word of God. He said, you and I don't have a relationship. Uh, amen. I never knew you. Amen. Depart from me because you've been doing what you want to do. You didn't do what my word said to do. You didn't live like my word told you to live. So you're not going to enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen. Two edges. Two edges to this sword. Amen. It can either be good. Or it could be bad. I want God to use the good side when it comes to my life. Amen. I want him, I want him to use the good side when it comes to my life. Well, praise God. And think about this. He introduces this letter to the church at Pergamos by saying, don't forget, I have a two-edged sword. I'm going to judge what's going on, either for good or for bad. Now, that's the way he introduces himself. So, you know, it, it, I mean, he didn't, he didn't beat around the bush here. He, he opens up this letter letting them know we're going to talk some serious business now. All right, let's read on. Verse 13, Revelation 2, verse 13. I know thy works. I know thy works. And where thou dwellest. Now, we talked about last, last week, we talked about, he said to, to Smyrna, I know thy works. And the word works, or it may have been Ephesus, the weeks are running together. But, but in one of those, we talked about the fact this word works, uh, it, it can be either good works or bad works. And, and in that case, it was good works. But here, it's a mixed bag. Because he's going to tell them there's some good things going on there. But there's some things not so good going on too. And I know all of them. That's why this sword that I'm wielding has two edges. Even within the same congregation, some are going to get the good side and some are going to get the bad side. Well, I know that works. And where thou dwellest, I know where you're at. Even where Satan's seat is. Even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest now, now, fast my name. Now, now listen, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this in just a moment. The, the rest of this, thou holdest fast my name. But here's what I want to show you. Amen. He said where Satan's seat is. The Greek word seat here is actually thronos. T-H-R-O-N-O-S. Thronos. Throne. Not just a seat. 
He said, Satan has, has made your city his capital. That's where Satan's throne is at. He doesn't just have a few of his imps running around in Pergamos. Satan himself has set up a kingdom right there in your city. Now look, I, I think we can see and understand why he would say that. When there's a temple there that is erected to Satan. They don't call him Satan, but that's what it is. That's what's going on. And all of their money and everything they do and everywhere they go, it's Satan, 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 Satan. He's got a throne in that city. He's got a throne there. Amen. Now, now listen, let me, let me just tell you this. In spite of the fact that Satan set up a throne in Pergamos, here's what I love. There was still a church there. It didn't stop God from planning a church just because the devil set up his throne somewhere. Well, I'm telling you, when I realized this, amen, my heart started to beat. Amen, I got excited about it. I don't care what's going on in the world. I don't care what's happening around us. Amen, nothing's going to stop God. If he wants a church somewhere, he's going to put a church there. If he has to put it right under the devil's nose, it's not going to stop God. Don't tell me that some city cannot be reached. Don't tell me that some city can't have revival. Don't tell me that some city is just a burnt over field. I'm here to tell you right in the middle of where Satan's seat is, he's still got a church. I'm telling you, this proved what Jesus said in Matthew 16 to be true. Matthew 16, 18, read. I say, and I, I say also, unto, also thee, unto thee that thou art, thou art Peter, Peter, and upon, upon this, rock, this rock I will build, I'm my, will build church, my church, and the gates, and of, the hell gates of hell shall not prevail not against it. Against it. Uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The throne of Satan shall not prevail against the church I build. <laughs> and, and you know, this rock was the rock of the revelation of who Jesus was. And now we look at what he said. He said, he said where Satan's seat is and thou holdest fast my name. There's still one God. They were still a one God church. In the midst of a city that had many gods, there was still a one God church. They still called God by the name that's above every name. For neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm telling you right there in Pergamos, while they've got all their gods, there's still a church that's up preaching. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You've got to receive the Holy Ghost if you want to be saved. You hold fast. My name. Can we put that? that uh, yeah, there you go. You hold fast my name. And you've not denied my faith. There's only one Lord. What's next? What? Come on, everybody. What? There's only one faith. There's only one faith. Amen. 
That's the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. That is repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues. That is the one faith. Amen. And here, right where Satan's seed is, is a church that's still preaching Acts 2.38. They're still preaching to people. Amen. You can go see whatever God you want to see, but I'm here to tell you, there's only one God in heaven. There's only one, and his name is is Jesus and if you want to be saved you're not going to be saved down there where the snakes are you're not going to be saved where the ruler the emperor is if you want to be saved you're going to bow amen at the feet of Jesus well hallelujah amen that's why I'm telling you no city is too hard for God to reach Amen. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Listen to this. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. All right, now listen to what he says. But where sin abounded. Where sin abounded. Grace did much more abound. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad God works that way. Amen. He looked down at a city that was wholly given to idols, that was worshiping the devil himself. And God said, I know what I'll do. I'll just give them more grace. I'll just give them more grace. Where sin abounds, my grace is going to much more abound. I'm always going to outdo whatever the devil does. Oh, hallelujah. Listen to me, friend. That's the way God works. Rather than sit around and feel sorry for yourself because the devil attacked you. Why don't you get happy and say God is about to do something better than what the devil's ever done. God's going to give me something greater than what the devil took away from me. Yes, sir. Oh, praise God. <coughs> Hallelujah. Amen. They held to the Lord's name. They refused to deny his faith regardless how evil their surroundings were. They were absolutely committed to the truth. They were committed to the truth. At least some of them were. Some of them were. Amen. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but then he goes on in verse 13. He said, has, has you, Thou holdest fast my name, hast not denied my faith. And then what did he say? Even in those days, in those days wherein, Antipas wherein Antipas was my faithful my martyr. faithful martyr. Who was slain among you where was Satan slain among you where Satan dwells. Now, I don't want to bore you with a lot of information. I thought I was boring everybody last week when I got to talk about Polycarp. And then boy, a bunch of people came and said, man, I enjoyed that and I learned a lot. I said, well, I guess maybe it wasn't as boring as I thought it was, huh? I knew I enjoyed it, but so let's talk a little bit about Antipas. Now, I don't have quite the story to tell you uh, with Antipas that I had to tell with Polycarp, but, but it is said that Antipas was uh, most likely the convert, the uh, son in the gospel to John the Beloved. Amen. And uh, Antipas, uh, history says, was most likely made uh, to be the, the pastor, uh, the, the angel, if you would, of the church of Pergamos. And he was there serving. Now, let me read this to you. I want to just read uh, one report that uh, historians made. It said, his witness to the Lord Jesus Christ by 
word and deed and miracles of healing began turning the people of Pergamos from offering sacrificial worship to idols that neither can see nor hear nor move nor breathe. Amen. The pagan priests complained vehemently that he was misleading the people by causing them to commit apostasy from their faith in their ancestral gods by his personal example of moral and spiritual virtue. He was living such a life in front of them that it was converting people just looking at the life he lived. Lord, I want to be a witness. You can take what's wrong and make it right. Make it right. Thank you for singing that tonight, Brother Nelson. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you, that's Antipas. He lived such a life in front of the wicked city of Pergamos that people laid down their idols. They walked away from their false gods and said, whatever that man's got, that's what I want. Well, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let me, let me read on because my time's going to slip away from me here. Amen. Let me read on. He said, uh, um, the firmness of his faith in God and his constant preaching about Jesus, the anointed one. That's the rest of that sentence. It's talking about uh, it, they turn from their faith because of the example of his moral and spiritual virtue. The firmness of his faith in God and his constant preaching about Jesus, the anointed one. When they demanded that he stop, he refused. He would not submit to their demand to stop preaching Christ. He would not submit to their demand to offer sacrifice to the idols. And they became enraged and dragged him to the temple of Artemis, which was another of the gods that they worshipped. And there they threw him, listen to this, into a glowing red hot copper or brazen metal bull where they normally put their sacrifices. Can you imagine? They got that metal bull red hot. There's just some red bull that'll keep you awake. I don't think you want any of that. They drug him and threw him into this metal bull, had it red hot from the flames, and threw him alive into that because he would not change his message or back down from what he believed. Now this is what they said. He loudly prayed God to receive his soul and strengthen the faith of the Christians and begged God to forgive those who were inflicting on him this torment. He then departed as peacefully as if he fell asleep. So here was this martyr. This man, evidently man of God. I read one man said they thought he was just a member of the church. I don't know. I can't prove it one way or the other. I'm just telling the majority of the historians and theologians that I looked at believe that he was actually the pastor at one time, up until his death. He was the pastor of this church at Pergamos. 
This is what one man said. said, Antipas lived where Satan's throne was, yet he stood against the attacks and evil around him. When everybody was against him, and when they made all kinds of threats against him, here's what this man said. He said, he fulfilled the meaning of his name because Antipas means against all. Hallelujah. Against all. Hallelujah. He didn't back down. Now let me say this, child of God, because remember, I'm not just trying to give you a history lesson. I'm not just trying to teach you about what was. I'm trying to help us dig out the things that God approved of so we can emulate that and the things that God did not approve of so we can avoid that. And let me tell you here something about uh, Antipas. Let me tell you about this man. That, that here was a man that even though he was in the city where Satan's seat was, Satan's throne was, he stood for God. Even when they threw him into a red hot metal container, he still lived for God. Kept his attitude right, kept his faith, kept his integrity And I'm here to say to you, you can live for God no matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what comes your way. You can't blame anybody else if you backslide. It's not anybody else's fault. You made a decision to walk away. I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven that wants to help you if you'll just let him. Amen. Antipas was not an angel. He was not a theophany. He was human flesh just like we are. Amen. But Antipas Antipas had a relationship with God. And that relationship kept him even in the worst of times. And God's no respecter of persons. What he did for Antipas, he'll do for you. All right, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Amen. So then we get into all this. The Lord said, I, I know your works. I know where you're at. I know Satan's seat is there. I know you've had either a member or a former pastor put to death just for preaching truth. God said, I know all that. I, I know that I haven't. I've not overlooked it. I'm well aware of it. He knows what we're going through. He knows. Job said he knows the way that I take. Job said I can't find him. I've been looking for him and can't find him. I don't know where God is, but let me assure you one thing. God knows where I'm at. And that's all that matters. As long as God knows where I'm at, I'm going to be okay. But after all of the good that God said, then he says this, verse number 14. But I have a few things against thee. I got a few things against you. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumble block, stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Oh, Lord, I need more time. I don't, have, I, don't have, I don't have time to get into this the way that I really would like to get into it. But, but listen, here's what God said. He said, I've got some things against you. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. 
Now, let me tell you, he didn't say, I've got something against you because you as a church believe the doctrine of Balaam. But he said, here's the problem. You got some of your members that are involved in this. And you're letting them continue on. You're not dealing with them. Now remember, Antipas is no longer the pastor there if he was the pastor. Somebody else has come along. There's a new man there. And I don't know if he's just trying to keep peace. He don't want to hurt people's feelings. That's usually the story I get. But I don't want to run anybody off. But look at what God said. He said, I've got something against this church. Now, you're, you're doing good. You've held on to my name. You've not denied my faith. But I got a problem. When I look at what's sitting on your pew, there's people there that are holding to the doctrine of Balaam. Well, again, the church hadn't adopted that doctrine. It's just the church was tolerating those who had. Now, I don't have time to get into uh, all that, that Balaam was and, and did. And I, I just don't have time tonight. You can go back to the book of Numbers and read about Balaam and how that he was, he, he, uh, Balak had, had tried to buy him to come and curse the people of God. And every time Balaam would try to curse the people of God, a blessing came out of his mouth. He couldn't curse them. He wanted to. Now, evidently, from what I, what I gather here, is, is Balaam kind of had a reputation that if he ever cursed somebody, they're cursed. And, and most likely, this is my guess, I don't know, but most likely he was involved in some kind of witchcraft or something, I don't know. But he could pronounce curses, and evidently people really got cursed. And he could pronounce blessings, and they seemed to prosper. He got a reputation. And Balak is looking around saying, man, these Israelites, they're winning against everybody. I need somebody to curse these folks. And I know just the man to do it. So he hires Balaam. Balaam says, sorry, I can't do it. I, I, I just can't. I open my mouth and blessings come out. Nothing I can do about it. Well, we, it's not recorded in numbers, but there are other references in the New Testament that let us know what Balaam ended up doing. And what he did is he convinced Balak, send some of your pretty little girls down there into the camp of the Israelites. And let them flutter their eyelashes. And let them priss around in front of these, these Jews. And, and, and let them, you know, let them flirt with these Jews. And here's what's going to happen. I can't curse them. But they'll end up giving in to their own lust. And they'll curse themselves. God will curse them because of their lifestyle. So Balaam, Balaam put a stumbling block, Jesus said. He, 
He taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. He did something to cause the children of Israel to fall. And so when they started falling in love with these Moabite women, the next thing was these Moabite women started introducing them to their Moabite gods. And before you know it, the Jews were not worshiping Jehovah God, but they were worshiping the gods of the Moabites because they just loved that pretty little girl. Well, and so the Bible said that that stumbling block caused them to fall into idolatry and to commit fornication. Balaam put something in front of the children of God that they couldn't handle. Now, God said, i got a problem with that. I've got a problem with people causing others to stumble. Are you hearing me? I know what time it is. Are you hearing me tonight? God said, i got a problem with people causing others to stumble. The Apostle Paul dealt with this as well, you know. He talked about, he said, if meat offends my brother, then I won't eat meat while the world standeth. I'm more concerned about my brother being saved than I am about my own pleasure. I, I've heard people say, well, it doesn't bother me. If it bothers them, that's their problem. doesn't bother me. No, it's your problem too. You got to care enough about your brothers and your sisters that you're willing to forego a few things that you enjoy. Well, listen, this is what people don't understand sometimes. They say, but pastor, down the road they get to do such and such. Why can't we do it here? Well, you don't know who's sitting on this pew that may have a real weakness toward that thing. And sometimes the best thing we can do is just say, all right, everybody, we're going to lay it down for the sake of the weak one. For the sake of the one who might be lost over it, we're going to avoid it. Doesn't mean it's heaven or hell for everybody everywhere. I've heard men try to preach that. If it's wrong in my church, it's wrong in your church. I don't believe that. I believe God gives the ministry. He gives the pastor the right in some area. There's some things that are black and white. The Bible says are sin. But we can't budge on those things. But there are other things that God doesn't necessarily just define. That the pastor's got to have some leeway. To say this is what we're going to do around here. I don't have time to get into this. But you stop and think about it. That when God spoke to Adam. God created Adam. And he spoke to Adam and said you can eat of any tree except one. Don't eat of that tree. But when Eve stood before the tree. The devil said did God say you can't eat of this tree. And she said oh we can't even touch the tree. Now where did she get that? God didn't say that. Well, Eve wasn't created when God spoke to Adam about it. Evidently, Adam set a holiness standard. Evidently, Adam said, I know my wife. And if she starts handling that tree, she's going to be eating from it before long. So we're going to establish a standard here. God said you can't eat it, but I'm saying we're not even going to touch it. we got to understand, church, that, that God hates when we put a stumbling block before someone else. 
God hates that. He hates that. And he had something against this church that was standing for the truth where Satan's throne was at. But yet there were people there that were saying, let's just do what we want to do. And if he can't handle it, that's his problem. He needs to go pray through. And God said, I don't like that attitude. You got to care about your brother. You got to care about your sister. You need to learn to think about how it affects them, what you're doing, what you're saying. Listen, church, oh, I wish I had another hour. I'm telling you, this has been a problem in every conservative apostolic church I've ever known that some sinner comes in and prays through and the saints want to corner them and tell them how to dress, tell them how to act, tell them how to live. You want to line them up, you want to clean them up. That's not your job. You're going to throw a stumbling block in front of them and God's not happy when you throw a stumbling block, especially with a new baby. Let the pastor deal with it. Let the pastor, amen, let the pastor... I'll take care of it under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Many, many years ago, before I ever came here, I went down to preach in a church. They were looking for a pastor. And they got me off in a prayer room and started asking me questions about all kinds of standards. And I said, now listen, I'll tell you anything you want to know. I'll answer any question about what I preach. I'll answer it if that's what you want me to do. But here's what I'd prefer. I'd prefer you give me the benefit of being able to teach you from the word of God under the anointing of the Holy Ghost because it's going to come across a whole lot different if I'm standing behind that pulpit and the Holy Ghost is on me than it is when I'm standing here in some back room somewhere just telling you you can't do this and you can't do that. Well, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, saints, I know you mean well. I know you mean well. You want to try to help them, but leave the babies alone. Leave the babies alone. Don't try to clean them up. Don't try to straighten them out. Don't give them that look. Why in the world are you wearing that? Why in the world are you dressing that way? That's none of your business. That's between them and God and their pastor. Don't put a stumbling block in front of somebody else. Oh, Jesus, I don't have to, we're going to have to skip over a bunch of this. We're going to have to skip over a bunch of this, but uh, God said, I, I don't want that. I don't want any of that going on. Amen. I got something against you, Pergamos, because you've got some people sitting on your pew that's doing this, and you're not dealing with them. Now, I, I, if I had time, I'd take you over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul told the New Testament church, you know, there's sin in the church and you know it's there and everybody knows it's there and yet you're letting it go on. And he said, don't you understand a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? If you know there's sin there, you know that it's ongoing, you know they're not repenting, they are flaunting their sin in front of everybody and you just let it go on, do you know what's going to happen? There's going to be sin throughout the church if it's not dealt with. Now listen, it's easy to shout amen until it's your little Herkimer that's the one that's in the sin. And when I got to deal with Herkimer, amen, then all of a sudden you need to be, oh no, you need to be patient. You need to be tolerant. You need to be, no, no, you got to understand God was upset with this church. They were standing for the truth, Brother Goff. They were holding on to his name where Satan's seat was. But God said to them, amen, you got to deal with this. You can't let this continue. Sometimes we don't like it because it's our friend. And to us, they're perfect. They're, 
Man, they'd never heard a flea. But God may see something you don't see. And I'm going to tell you, if I see any anger, if I can hear any, any uh, wrath in the voice of God, I, I hear it in this verse. I got something against you because you're letting that go on. And you know it's there and you're letting it go on. Well, I, I wish I had time. I wish I had time tonight. Amen. I, I, many years ago, uh, Brother Johnson, Tom Johnson, Colorado Springs, man, he, he, got, he got stirred up, and he went after some things in the church. He came down off the platform. He was red in the face. He was pointing his finger, and he was saying, this is the way it's going to be in this church, and if you don't like it, there's the door. And there was, I think, 17 people that got up and walked out right then. They took him up on his offer. It just so happened all 17 of them were highly connected to other members of the church. And it just so happened the very next day, they're making phone calls. And they're saying, if he was really a man of God, he wouldn't act that way. If he's really a man of God, he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't holler at us like that. If he's really a man of God, he wouldn't treat us that way. And he saw his church was in serious trouble. He's praying, God, you got to help me. you got to help me. And uh, that Wednesday morning, Elder Davis happened to be in Colorado Springs on vacation. Called up Brother Johnson, his friend, and he said, he said, I, I just want to let you know I'm in town. Brother Johnson said, well, you're preaching tonight. He said, well, I'm going to tell you the truth. I promised my family I wouldn't. And he said, I was going to keep that promise, but God gave me a dream about your church last night. And uh, he said, I got to do what God told me to do. So he didn't know anything, anything about what had happened, didn't know anything about what took place, but he got up that night and he began to preach. And he started preaching that whatever God's attitude is, you're going to see it in God's man. If God just really feels love toward the congregation, you're going to see that man showing love. But if God's angry, he said that preacher's going to get red in the face and he's going to point his finger at you and he's going to tell you some things. But it's not because the preacher's mad, and it's not because the preacher's not a man of God. It's because that's the way God feels right then. Now, Elder Davis didn't know one thing. And then when he got through preaching his message, he said, now, I had a dream last night. He said, I dreamed. He said, Brother Johnson, I saw you down in this deep, deep ditch, deep hole. He said, you were down at the bottom of it. He said, I walked up and said, man, that thing's mighty deep. And he said, I saw there, there was like a pipeline. And you was trying to get that thing connected. And, uh, and, and he, he said, you, you, you put it all together and said, you looked up at me and said, said Brother Davis, it's going to be all right. It's going to flow again. We've got it all repaired and it's going to flow again. Hallelujah. He said, I looked down and said, now, Brother Johnson said, that hole's mighty deep. He said, how deep is it? He said, Brother Johnson looked up and said, I don't know. But he said, I got a tape measure with me. He said, let me throw it up to you. He said, we'll measure this. And he said, we measured. And he said, I don't know what this means. But he said, the hole was 17 feet deep. He said, but Brother Johnson, 17 feet, amen, may be deep. But God wants you to know it's going to flow again. This is not the end of this church. Well, hallelujah. Amen. I, I'm going to tell you. Amen. Some, and that's what I see God saying to the church at Pergamos. He said, I know, I know what you've been doing. I know the good you're doing. But there's some things I'm not happy about. And we got to deal with that. 
We got to get this cleaned up. We got to get this taken care of. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. I got to, I got to hurry. So, so, so he said, uh, he said, he said, you got the doctrine of Balaam. And then he went on verse 15. Let's skip on down. It's down there somewhere. I'm trying to hurry. I'm trying to close this out. I went past magic hour. Amen. Amen. And verse 15 says this. So hast thou I also. I got another problem, he says. I got another problem. Got one problem. You got the doctrine of Balaam there. But he said also there's some others in the church that. That what? hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. They hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Which thing I hate. Which thing I hate. So I tell you, I'm hearing some anger in God's voice here. I got a feeling that pastor wasn't real nice about it when he read this letter. I mean, if God said he hates something going on in the church, that's not the time to smile and pat people on the back. For God to say he hates something, saying something, because God is love. And if this moves him to hate, friend, it must be pretty bad. And he said, you've got, them, you've got people there not only that, that have subscribed to the doctrine of Balaam, you've got some in your church holding to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, now we talked about the Nicolaitans when we discussed the church at Ephesus. And uh, he commended Ephesus because they'd rejected it. We talked about how the Nicolaitans, uh, evidently, according to history, it was this, this whole uh, you know, grace Thing that's going around even to this day that people say just live like you want to God doesn't care how you look, God doesn't care how you act, doesn't matter how you live God just loves you so you just be what you are it's okay God doesn't look at the outside He only sees the inside and all of that, that's exactly what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was but now I would point this out to you that when, I, when we dealt with it in Ephesus, in that letter God said you've rejected the deeds of the Nicolaitans. But now it's not just become deeds. It's a doctrine. You know what that tells me? That tells me, Brother Nelson, that, that now in Ephesus, evidently some had come there wanting to come to church and live like the Nicolaitans live. And Ephesus said, uh-uh, not here. You're not doing that here. But in Pergamos, they weren't just living it. Doctrine means teaching. So evidently, it wasn't enough for these Nicolaitans to live it themselves. But they were going house to house and telling others and trying to convert others. Uh, you know, I, uh, some years ago, and you can still, it's out there. I don't know who got a hold of it. I don't know how it got circulated. But it's, it has spread uh, from coast to coast. A message I taught here on tithing. And, and that particular message, I'm telling you, I was ever more fired up. I'm talking about really fired up. I was probably hotter than that metal bull was. And the reason I was fired up is because I found out that somebody was literally going house to house teaching people in the church. This is supposed to be a member of the church. Going house to house teaching families in the church, taking scriptures out of context, and convincing them that tithing was an Old Testament principle and is done away with in the New Testament. So they're teaching this stuff. So you want to hear your pastor get riled up. I was pretty riled. At, and some, I've, I've taught that lesson, I don't know how many times through the years. Why, Brother Self, why they couldn't have found one when I was, you know, lovey-dovey and sweet and kind and 
I don't know, but they found the one where I was nailing everything to the wall. And I, I mean, I'm telling you, I was killing flies with sledgehammers that day. I, I was going after every, everything that moved. And that's what they got to circulate all across the Internet. But I got a feeling the reason why I was so fired up is because God was fired up. It's one thing. If somebody wants to live that way, that's one thing. But you start spreading it. You start spreading it among others. Now we got a problem. We're going to end up with a pandemic. You spreading that stuff around. Amen. Somebody comes to you and starts teaching stuff that's not taught across this pulpit. You need a Holy Ghost mask you put on. Just reach in there and put it on and say, Sorry, not listening. You need to go put your mask on. What'd you say? Put your mask on. Cover your mouth. You're spreading germs. I don't want any part of those germs. In fact, I think I'm going to go to the church and get a Holy Ghost vaccination. I want to make sure I, I got all the antibodies. I don't want any of that stuff getting in my system. Don't sit there and listen to it. Don't, don't, don't patty cake with them. Don't, don't play their games. You say, I don't want to hurt their feelings. But they're trying to destroy your soul. I got to hurry. All right, I'm trying. I promise I'm trying. So, so God said, they, you got a doctrine now. It's not just deeds in this church. It's a doctrine among some of them. And God said, you better take care of that. And this is where I'm telling you, I believe God was speaking to that pastor. It was that pastor's job. It was that pastor's job to take care of business. Get that dealt with. You're not going to teach that stuff around here. You're not going to spread that stuff around here. That's the pastor's job. That was his job, and evidently he wasn't doing the job. So God said, I got something against you. Then we go on. Now, God says, but there is a cure. There is a cure, and I got to hurry. All right, Revelation chapter 2, verse 16 now. We're nearly done. It's only 17 verses, and we're on verse 16. We're nearly done. There's hope. Read. Now, don't, don't do that. They'll see you looking at those. You're going to be spreading. We're going to have to put a mask on you. Now, get, 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 get. you all know better than to do something like that with me up here. You know I'm going I'm to get the last word. All right, so verse 16, read. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Well, has, has anybody ever thought about this? Look at what Jesus said. He said, repent or else. I mean, that's strong. Repent or else. Well, I don't want the Lord giving me an or else. I'm telling you, I don't want him to give me an or else. He says, repent, then guess what I want to do? I'm going to go find a place to repent. Amen. I'm going to go find a place to repent. In fact, listen to those messages, Brother Davis, and, and he, kept, he kept saying all God wants out of this church is that they'd find a place to repent. I'm going to tell you, ever since then, well, really before then, anybody that's prayed with me very long knows I've been doing it a long time, but I've really been focusing on it lately, just saying, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. If there's anything there, Lord, take it out. Please get rid of it. I don't want you to be upset with me. I don't want anything in my life. I've been repenting, 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 repenting. It ought to be something we all do. We ought to do it regularly. We ought to do it every day. 
Amen. We ought to have, we ought to live a life of repentance. We don't know what we might have done the day before. There might have been something we said that we didn't think it was, it was wrong, but it just came out wrong. God, forgive me. God, help me. Set a watch, O oh Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Cleanse my heart, God. Wash me, purge me, create in me a clean heart. Amen. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I'm telling you, these are things I pray all the time. Oh, God, I want to repent. I don't want you to say, or else. Well, listen to what he said, or else. Or else. Or else. I'm going to come quickly. And what's he going to do? What's that verse? Read that verse. And we'll fight against I'm them. I'm going to fight against with them. With the sword of my mouth. Oh, friend, I don't want God fighting against me. That's a losing battle. I'm telling you, it's a losing battle. There's no win in that fight. I've told people, said, you know, there's a few people in the world. I'm, I, I don't really think I'm afraid of much of anybody. But there's a couple of men in the world that if, I, I just don't want them mad at me. One of them is Elder Howard. I, I've, I've seen his wrath a time or two. And I'm thinking, I, I think I'll just be real sweet when I get around him. I'm going to walk softly. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. There, there's just a few men. I just, I don't want to make them mad. I, I just want to keep them happy. If I sure don't want God to get, I don't want God fighting against me. Because I am not going to win that battle. I don't stand a chance if God's fighting against me. And he said, you either repent or I'm going to come quickly. Now, he's not giving them a long time to weigh this out. He's not saying take a year and, and think about this. He said, you do it or else I'm coming quickly and I'm going to start a fight with you. God's going to throw the first punch. And that's all it takes. Well, now, Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, think about what he said. He said, I'm going to fight against them. How? With the sword of my with mouth. With the sword of my mouth. Now, think about that. I'm going to fight against them with the sword of of my mouth. Now we've already talked about what the sword is. We've already discussed what the sword is. The sword is the word of God. So here's what Jesus is saying. He said you better just get ready. You about to hear a barrage of sermons. Word of God is about to pinpoint you. Like they, they're talking about old brother Joe Duke blind and He'd pray several hours a day, and then he'd get up, and he couldn't see anybody, couldn't see anything. But he'd say, on third row on the left, there's a lady over here wearing a checkered. I don't know if anybody's over there. I'm just saying this is what he'd say. And he'd say, you, you've been committing adultery. And, I mean, he'd, he'd describe what they had on, describe the shoes they was wearing, describe everything about them. God had shown it to him. And he'd call them out. Couldn't see them. But God showed it. I've told those guys in Africa, they, they, they tend to follow these men that call themselves prophets. I said, I've got a feeling most of you wouldn't want a real prophet to come around. Real prophets, I don't, I don't find too many real prophets go around pronouncing blessings and financial favors. And 
Most of the time, the real prophets were saying, or else. That's right. <laughs> so most of them are. Most of those real prophets, that's their message, or else. And, and Jesus said, I'm going to fight against them with the words or with the sword of my mouth. Now, let me go through this real quick. I've, I've got to quit, but let me go through this real quick. Amen. Proverbs 29, verse 1 says this. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Whoa. He's been reproved and reproved and reproved, but he doesn't straighten up. God said he's going to suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. There's no cure. There's no bringing them back. Now, now listen, I, I don't have time. One of these days, I'll, I'll come back and preach it again uh, if the Lord lays it on my heart to do it. But many, many years ago, I preached a sermon to this church about rejecting God's remedy. God has a remedy for our soul. Amen. But we've got to go God's way. Amen. And, and listen, here's, I, I pointed out that God, uh, there were things that God did, even in the garden, that God set a pattern for how he deals with man. And, and, and God planted a garden. And then the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord walked in the garden. The Spirit of the Lord. Amen. The voice of the Lord walked in the garden is what the Bible said. They heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. His word was walking in the garden. And then God God put a man in the garden to till the garden. Amen. And God has a threefold process of dealing with humanity. Amen. First of all, God moves on man through conviction. Real quick, let's read these verses, John 16, 7 to 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient oh, for you that I go away. Uh-huh. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send unto you. Yeah, we like that, that part. Now read verse 8. And when he and is when come, this comforter he comes, he will what? Reprove, reprove the, world, the of world of sin and of righteousness, righteousness and, of judgment. and of judgment. That's what the Holy Ghost comes to deal with us. The first thing God does is God brings conviction to your heart. God just starts dealing with you and says, you really ought not do that. You really ought to stop that. But the problem is sometimes we learn how to override our conscience. And override the convicting power of the Spirit. And so God then moves into phase two. He'll try to convict you for a while. And, and only God knows. And it's different for everybody. But he'll try convicting you with the Spirit for a while. And then if that doesn't work, the next thing that happens. Amen. We read it a while ago. Hebrews 4 and 12. For the Word of God is quick. The Word of God is quick or alive. And powerful. And it's powerful. And sharper than it's any sharper two-edged, than any two-edged sword. sword. And it does what? Piercing it even pierces, to the dividing it asunder. It pierces to the dividing asunder of the, of the of soul and spirit, the and joints, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of, of the thoughts and, and the intents, intents of, the of the heart. So, so God tries to deal with you just through the convicting power of the spirit. And if he doesn't get through with you, you know what's going to happen next? Preacher's going to be up preaching. He's not going to identify anything. In fact, most likely God didn't even tell the preacher who it is that's doing it. It's just he, re- he feels this urge that the word of God needs to deal with a certain thing. Just, just the word begins to go forth. And the word, if the spirit doesn't reach you, then God lets his word start to work on you. Amen. And God may send several messages your way. Trying to get you to repent. Trying to get you to, to, to make things right. And, and not even reveal it to the preacher. I, I've, I've said things and preached things and thought, why in the world did I get on that? And find out later why I got on that. 
I even there was a time the Elder Davis was preaching and 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 he was he was preaching. He came down off the platform and and that really he didn't do that a whole lot, but he came down and he was pointing his finger and he, I mean he was he was laying out and said, and some of you have got the audacity to go into drive-in movies and watch all kinds of ungodliness. And I mean he's just preaching and he's his finger and it came right down to the face of a man and the man just went white. And service is over. The man went to him. He said, "Who told you?" Brother David said, told me what? He said, about me going to the drive-ins and all the things. I, he said, nobody told me. I didn't know it was you. He said, you pointed right at me. He said, well, I didn't mean to. I didn't know it. But the Word knew it. And God was trying to let the Word deal with the man without exposing the man. God's giving the man a chance. Giving him a chance to come to the altar and get it under the blood and not have to make it public. Just come and get it dealt with. Oh, I wish I had more time to develop this. I, I, I don't. But, but then, then if you won't listen to the voice of the Spirit and you won't listen to the generic voice of the Word, then God sends a man. And here's what, God, here's what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 and 2. Preach the Preach word. The word. Be instant, the instant in season. Out of, out of season. season. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort, exhort with all long suffering. I'm going to tell you the third thing. God finally tells the man, here's the one that's doing it. Here's what they're doing. And God exposes it to the man. And now it's time to address the individual. First you just address the sin. Now you got to address the sinner. But what happens if you reject that? Read for me 2 Chronicles 36, 16. I'm, I've got to close. Sister Goff, come and start playing. I've got to close. I'm not nearly done. We're going to skip over a whole lot of things that I wish I didn't have to skip over. But, but uh, there's not enough to make it a second, ser- second part. But, but read for me. This is 2 Chronicles 36, 16. Listen to this. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets. Until the wrath of the Lord Until arose, the wrath of the against, Lord his arose against his people. Until there was Until there no was remedy. No, there's that same term we read in Proverbs. There's no remedy. And that word remedy, literally in the Hebrew, is medicine. There is no cure. There's no cure. If you've rejected the convicting power of the Spirit, you've rejected the convicting power of the generic word, and now you reject the individual address of the man of God to you, then the Bible says that God's wrath will fall and there will be no remedy. That's what he's saying to Pergamos. I'm going to come quickly, and he said, I'm going to deal with you with that sword that I introduced when I first opened this letter to you. I'm going to use that sword. You better do something now. Amen. You better take it now. You better find an altar now you better repent now come on somebody I know I know we've been ending these on a positive note and I I don't want to end it on a negative note but I feel in the Holy Ghost God's been dealing with somebody about something you're doing but yet you've been not listening to God you have not been listening to the voice of the Spirit and maybe even the Word of God has addressed it a time or two listen to me God's only got one more step and if you don't respond to that final step there's no more remedy there is no medicine that's going to fix your problem you need to find a place and repent so he says in verse 17 if you got an ear here 
You better hear. And again, this word doesn't just mean to listen to. It means to obey it. If you've got an ear to hear, then obey what you've been hearing. Amen. He said, if you will, amen, to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh, to him that will respond. Now, God doesn't end things on a negative note. He doesn't. He started on a positive note. He deals with the negatives, and then he comes back and ends on a positive note again. And he said, if you'll just overcome this stuff, if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, to him that overcometh, what's he going to do? I will give I to will eat of give. man. I will give. I will give. I will give. Three things he says he's going to give to the one that overcomes all that he's found wrong with them. First of all, he said, I'm going to give them the hidden manna. The hidden manna. I wish I had time to go into this, but Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread of life. I want to tell you what he's saying when he says, I'm going to give you the hidden manna. First of all, he says, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to draw close to you. We're going to have a relationship with one another. But more than that, this is the hidden manna. 1 Corinthians 14 and 2. He that speaketh in unknown tongues speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man speak, uh, no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mystery. Hidden manna. He said, listen, if you'll overcome, I'm going to come visit you. And I'm going to show you things you've never seen before. That's what I told you a while ago. We're singing that song. And I thought about it then. Amen. He said, I will. I'll show you things you've never seen. I'm going to reveal the hidden mysteries to you but you gotta overcome the problems and if you'll overcome it I'll start revealing things to you that you've never known that's the first thing he said I'll give you I'll give you hidden manna then he said I'm gonna give you a white stone I gotta get through this I know it's 930 I gotta get through this he said I'm gonna give you a white stone a white stone now I've read that many times under Roman government when a man whether it was whether it was in the uh, arena, you know, where, where we, we've often heard them give them the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Somebody lives or dies. Well, there was another way that judgment would be pronounced. Also in the courts, there was a way. If somebody was ever accused of something, then when the final verdict was decided, the judge pronounces, amen, whether they are guilty or they're innocent. Here is what the historians say, that the judge many times, if somebody was guilty, he would reach down and he'd hand that person a black stone. And that black stone said to everybody, this man's guilty and he's going to carry that black stone. But if the judge found him innocent, he'd reach down and he'd hand him a white stone. And all this man had to do when his accusers came up was pick up that white stone and say, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going to throw that on me. I've been found innocent. I've been found innocent. I've been proclaimed, amen, to be free of this charge by the great judge. I'm carrying a white stone with me. Amen. I've been forgiven. Hallelujah. But they said also there was another way that a white stone was used. They said if a king or someone wealthy wanted to let the whole world know that some, and especially in Pergamos, they mined these white stones, a very special kind of stone. And, and, and in Pergamos, they, they actually had mines to dig them out. But the wealthy would get these white stones. And if they ever really found somebody that was really, truly a friend to them and they wanted the world to know, this is my friend, then they would take that white stone and they would engrave on that stone 
the name of the one giving the stone. And then you can walk into any place of business. Brother Jaheem, with that white stone, walk into that business and set it on the counter. And they'd see who your friend is. And it gave you credibility. And it made people come to understand this person of prominence, this person of wealth, this person of position has named you as their friend, as their benefactor. It was a sign of giving favor when they wrote their name on that white stone. Now I'm telling you, I'm telling you, amen, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a white stone. And then the third thing he said, in that stone a new name written which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Now, many other translations say it this way, and I'm, I, I really am closing with this. Many other translations say it this way. They said, they said uh, which no man understandeth, except the one that receives it. In other words, other people don't really understand the significance of this name. This name that's written on this stone when, 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 when they see the name of Jesus written on this stone, doesn't mean much to the world. Oh, you're one of them, huh? But to us, it means everything. Because he has conveyed favor. He has conveyed authority. He has conveyed wealth. Oh, hallelujah. We carry in a white stone, but it's not just a stone. It's got a name engraved in it that other people may not appreciate and other people may not understand. Oh, but we understand it and we know what it means. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, he gave us his name when he adopted us into his family. That name may not mean much to anybody else. But oh, it means everything to us. Devil comes bothering us. We just reach in our pocket and say, let me show you something here, devil. You see this stone right here? You see the name written on that stone? You better be careful what you're doing right now. You better be careful what you're saying. I'm going to call my friend. And you're scared of my friend. I know you are. You better just leave me alone, devil. I got a white stone. And the world may not appreciate that name, but devil, you understand the power of that name. Oh, let's stand tonight. Let's stand tonight. I didn't intend to keep you this long. Oh, help me, Jesus. We may have to just start on Tuesday night, come in and sing one chorus and get into the Word. I don't know. I don't know what we got to do. Amen. Praise God. Oh, but I felt this tonight. I felt this tonight. I didn't want to wait another week to deal with this. I want to tell you, God, yes, God calls us to repentance. But if we'll do it, He said, I'm going to hand you a white stone. You'll come and repent. You'll get that under the blood. I'm going to give you a white stone. And every time the devil tries to drag it up to you again, say, uh-uh, devil, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I want to show you something. I want to show you something, devil. You can just shut that up right now. Because the judge of all judges has pronounced me innocent. 
I know I did it, and he knows I did it. But he covered it with his blood, and he paid the price. And so he has now pronounced me innocent. I am justified. Hallelujah. I'm carrying that white stone with me everywhere I go. Oh, let's lift our hands and love him right now. Let's love him. Let's love him.